This is the Megacon Experience, a collection of sermons from our global conference held in Benin City, Nigeria. We hope you're blessed by these messages. Praise the Lord, everybody. Lift your hands up just for a moment. And repeat after me in the name of Jesus. I came expecting to receive. My ears are anointed to hear. My heart is anointed to receive. And what I will receive this morning will cause miracles and blessings in my life. I declare that I'll never be the same again. For I am in great expectation. And I believe I receive now. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give the Lord a big shout right before you take your seats. Amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles this morning, go with me to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 2. 2 Timothy, chapter 2. And when you get to 2 Timothy chapter 2, let's look at verse 15 again. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Let's look at that in the King James. I want to keep everything in the King James unless I specifically announce a, a version. But 2 Timothy chapter 2, 15. He says, study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, as we said yesterday or last night, if you can rightly divide the word, then you can wrongly divide it. It is important for us to rightly divide the word because when the word is rightly divided, it will produce right thinking. And when you have right thinking, you will have right believing. And when you have right believing, you'll have right living. But if the word is wrongly divided, it will produce wrong thinking. And when you have wrong thinking, you'll have wrong believing. And wrong believing will be the result of wrong living. So this morning, I want to deal with the subject, living under the correct covenant. And my question to you today is, are you living under the correct covenant? Now, one of the things I want you to understand is that God does nothing in the earth without a covenant. So let me define covenant to you. A covenant is a pledge. It is a vow. It is a promise between two or more parties to carry out terms agreed upon, and it can only be broken by death. A covenant is an irrevocable vow. It is an irrevocable pledge or promise between two parties to carry out what was agreed upon. And in a blood covenant, it can only be broken by death. My question this morning are we living under the correct covenant? 
And what is the correct covenant? Go with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 2, and let's look at verse 11 and 12, because we're talking covenant this morning. Are you living under the correct covenant? Now, notice in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Wherefore, remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Now, you can remember circumcision in the old covenant was a sign that you were a part of the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant was a covenant of promise. And you can remember when David was getting ready to fight Goliath, and he said about Goliath, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Uncircumcised meaning, who is this Philistine that doesn't have a covenant with God and I do? Because in those days, circumcision was a sign that you were a part of the Abrahamic covenant. Now look at the next verse, verse 12. Verse 12 says this, Ephesians 2, 12, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now notice when you are a stranger to your covenant, you are without hope. Notice when you are a stranger to your covenant, he says you're without God. You see, God deals with us through covenant agreements. Everything that God is going to do in our life, he's going to do it through a covenant agreement. And when you are not aware of the covenant that you are under as Christian people today, then you are without hope. If you don't understand the covenant that you should live under, and if it's not the correct covenant, then life won't be as it could and so we must understand the correct covenant that we're supposed to live under. The Bible is a book of covenants. It's got different covenants in it. But which one should we be living under today? So God relates with us, and he relates to man through covenant agreements. Now, there are two major covenants in the Bible. You're familiar with them. The old covenant and the new covenant. Those are the two major covenants in the Bible. The old covenant of the law versus the new covenant of grace. The old covenant is also referred to as the Mosaic covenant. The old covenant is also referred to as the first covenant. The new covenant is referred to as the second covenant. The new covenant is also referred to as the new covenant of grace. Now, I want to lay more, one more foundation before we get started. There are three things that are true about every covenant. And I want you to remember, three things that are true concerning every covenant. Number one, every covenant has a benefactor. Number two, every covenant has benefits. And number three, every covenant has beneficiaries. The benefactor in every covenant in the Bible is God. The benefit of the covenants in the Bible would be the blessings. And the beneficiaries would be the people, you and I. So this morning, 
I want to compare, in contrast, the difference between the old covenant of the law versus the new covenant of grace. I want to compare, in contrast, the Mosaic covenant of the law versus the new covenant that came to us by Jesus Christ. The first thing I want you to understand, the first covenant of the law was a conditional covenant that was between God and Jewish people. The new covenant of grace was an unconditional covenant between God and Jesus. You and I are going to be beneficiaries. So what I want to do this morning, and you pray with me so I can get through this, I am going to literally take you through the Bible because I got to show it to you in order for you to believe it. And I'm going to show you the difference between what's happening in the covenant of Moses, the Mosaic covenant, the covenant of the law, versus the covenant of grace and show you that you should be living under the new covenant and not under the Mosaic covenant. If you're with me, say amen. Now, let's start off by dealing with the old covenant. Let's talk about the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and let's look at the terms of the covenant and the agreements in that covenant. Go to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 3, and then verse 15. Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 through 3, and then verses 15. I'm going to show you now the agreement between God and Jewish people. If you're not Jewish, you are not a part of this contract. You are not a part of this agreement. Now, here's what this agreement says. Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 through 3. But it shall come to pass, if thou will not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe, to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Verse 2. And he said, verse 2, he says, all these promises shall come upon you this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee. Verse 2, there you go, verse, oh no, that's, that's 15. Go to Deuteronomy 28, verse 1, 2, and 3, and then verse 15. There you go, thanks. And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God would set thee on high above all nations of the earth. Verse 2, Deuteronomy 28, verse 2. And he says, if you do that, then all these blessings shall come on thee, overtake thee. Condition, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Verse 3, and if you meet this condition, blessed shall I be in the city, and blessed shall I be in the field. Now, we went around saying, I'm blessed in the city and I'm blessed in the field, but this is a covenant contractual agreement between God and Jewish people. And the, the, the deal is this, if you... Conditional, if you keep all of the commandments, then you can have the blessing. That's the condition of this agreement. Now, if you cannot keep or will not keep all the blessings, go to verse 15. We, we talked about this a little last night, Deuteronomy 28, verse 15. 
He says, but it shall come to pass if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. So according to this agreement, if you keep all his commandments, then the blessing comes on you. But also in the agreement, if you do not keep all his commandments, then all these curses shall come upon you. Now, this is, a, this is an agreement between God and Jewish people. Gentiles do not have a part of this, this covenant agreement. It's a covenant between God and Jewish people. And what he says to Jewish people is this. If you can keep all of my commandments. Now, all of the Mosaic uh, law consisted of 613 laws. Ten of them were written on stone by the finger of God. And the other 603 uh, were written on tablets. And so there's a total of 613. The agreement is keep all of my commandments, then, then you'll be blessed. How many of you know that nobody kept all 613 of the commandments? And how many of you know that there were a lot of people that died because they were under the curse? I mean, back in those days, I mean... Thousands of people died for murmuring and complaining. Back in those days, if you picked up a stick on the Sabbath day, you would be stoned to death. Back in those days, if children were not obedient, teenagers were not obedient to their parents, the parents were commanded to stone them if they carried on in their rebellion. That's what the law was all about. The law was ruthless. The law was trying to to, 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 to destroy you. It wasn't sent to transform you. This agreement had no transformative power, none at all. In fact, in James chapter 2 and 10, he says if you violate just one of these commandments, you're guilty of violating them all. He says, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. Now, that's pretty tough. And yet today, churches around the world, we are still trying to live by and keep a covenant agreement that God made between God and Jewish people, and he, an agreement is not even with you. And you're struggling to try to do that because we've not made a contrast between the old covenant and the new covenant. Now, again, I want to state he did not declare this to be proportional. In other words, the agreement did not say if you are 20% obedient, then you'll get 20% of the blessing. The agreement was keep all of the commandments, then you'll get all of the blessing. So the agreement, the agreement requested 100% obedience to 100% of the commandments. Not 20. So as I said last night, if you are 100% obedient, you get 100% the blessing and 0% the curse. But if you're 98% obedient, you get 0% the blessing, but 100% the curse. That's the agreement. You can plainly see it in writing. That is the agreement. And the question is, how come we hadn't recognized that to this point? What happens when we continue 
to try to get people to keep an agreement that number one is not between them and God, and number two, it's impossible for them to keep. The only person that could keep this agreement was Jesus Christ. Now, let's go down a little bit now. Go to the book of Romans chapter 5 and verse 20. Let's read some scripture in the New Testament concerning this Mosaic law, this, Mosaic, this covenant of the law. Romans chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. Moreover, the law entered. Notice the law entered. He's talking about the Mosaic law entered that the offense might increase. But where sin increased or abounded, grace did much more abound. Did you notice that as a result of the Mosaic law, sin increased? When the Mosaic law came, he said sin increased because of the Mosaic law. He says, but where sin increased, grace did much more increase, that as sin has reigned unto death, even so might grace reign or rule through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ. Now, look at Romans chapter 7, verse 12 through 13. Romans 7, 12 through 13. This is talking about this covenant agreement between God and Jewish people. It's known as the Mosaic Law. That was the agreement. Now look at this, verse 12 and 13. He's going to talk about the nature of the law. Check this out now. Wherefore, the law is holy. The commandments are holy. The commandments are just. The commandments are good, verse 13. Was then that which is good made death unto me? No, God forbid. But it was made sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me, that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Sin because of the commandment. Wow. Move on down a little bit. Look at verse 14. Romans 7, 14. We know that the law is spiritual. All right, now so far we've seen the law is good, the law is holy, the law is perfect. The law is spiritual. Somebody said, so what's the problem with the law? There is no problem with the law. It's flawless. The problem is with us. The law is perfect and we are not. And because we are not perfect and the law is perfect, then imperfect people can't keep something so perfect as the law. You will keep failing all the time. If you understand that, say amen. Now look at Romans 7 and 7 while we're there. Romans 7 and 7, I mean, I want to I wanna, I wanna dot all my I's and cross all my T's because this is going to be a radical time this morning. He says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? No, God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. Paul said, I didn't know something was sin until the law came in. You know, I went to Germany one year and I rode on this stretch of highway called the Autobahn. And on the Autobahn, you can drive as fast as you want to with no speed limit. But I could hardly enjoy that because I was used to a speed limit. You see, in my country, I knew that going past 55 in some zones and 70 in other zones 
would be breaking the law. So I had a consciousness that, that gave me problems when I went past 70. But what he says here is that before the law showed up, I was not conscious that there was a problem here until the law showed up. See, if I grew up in Germany and I grew up riding on the Autobahn, I would have no consciousness of a speed limit until I got somewhere that had a speed limit. So there was a time, ladies and gentlemen, Paul said the law showed up to let me know that when I did this or broke it, I would sin. So sin came because of the law. If you understand that, say amen. Look at verse 7. Again, Romans 7 and 7. He says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except by the law, had said, thou shalt not covet. Now, thou shalt not covet is one of the big ten. The reason why I wanted to read this is some theologians say, yes, we are delivered from the law, only the ceremonial portion of it. Yes, we're delivered from the law. We don't have to bring animals. We don't have to bring them to the, to the priest anymore. But right here it says, thou shalt not covet. That's one of the big ten. You are delivered from all of the law. You're delivered from the ceremonial part of it. You're delivered from all 613 of it. But that doesn't mean you're delivered from the law so you can commit sin. It means you're delivered from the law trying to make you moral, and now you're trusting the Holy Spirit for your morality. If you understand that, say amen. Now go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. Galatians 3, 19. I'm going to show you everything this morning. I want to give you so much word this morning that you feel like biting the back out of the chair in front of you. Praise God. Galatians 3, verse 19. Let's read this in the King James and then the Amplified. 319, King James and the Amplified. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was ordained by angels in the hands of the mediator. So notice the purpose of the law. Look at this in the Amplified, Galatians 3 verse 19. What is the purpose of the law? It was added later on after the promise to disclose and expose to men their guilt because of transgressions and to make men more conscious of the sinfulness of sin. It was intended to be in effect until the seed, Jesus, the descendant, the heir should come to and concerning whom the promise had been made and it, the law, was arranged and ordained and appointed through the instrumentality of angels and was given by the hand and the person of a go-between Moses and intermediary between God and man. So the purpose of the law here, it was added to disclose, expose your guilt. The law was given to make you guilty. The law was given to condemn you. The law was given to bring you to an end of yourself. The law was given to show you that you can't do this without a savior. The law was given to show you what's wrong with you. The law acted like a mirror. It shows you your problem, but it won't do anything to fix it. The law acts like medical dye. The medical dye is injected to show the problems going on in your body. But the medical dye is not the cure. 
The law acts like the medical diet. It'll show you the issue in your life, but it is not the cure. So the law was given to show man what was wrong with him. The law was given to bring men to an end of their self-effort. It was given so that they would finally recognize, I need a savior. No matter how hard I try, I end up missing it and the guilt comes in. No matter how hard I try, I end up missing it and the shame comes in. And I'm condemned every time I miss the law. Jesus, help me. I need a savior. God allowed the law to come forth to show you your need for a savior. Amen? Let me show you something real quick. Rome, uh, Galatians chapter 3, verses 9 through 14. Galatians 3, 9 through 14. Now, this may sound a little strange to your ear because 90% of the church worldwide, we have not made a, a, a contrast between the law of Moses and the grace of Jesus Christ and the covenant promise that God made to Jewish people and the grace of Christ in the new covenant that he made with Gentiles and everybody else. Look at this. So then, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Watch verse 10. Watch verse 10. Look at this, Galatians 3.10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, curse is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Did you see what it just said? The guy that's under the law, that doesn't keep all of the law, he is cursed because he's under the law trying to work it. Inevitably, you will fail. And the curse comes because of that failure. And that's why Jesus came to deliver us from the curse of the law. Now look what he said in verse 11. Verse 11. But that no man is justified by the law. No man is declared righteous by the law. You're not justified by the Mosaic law. He says in the sight of God it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Listen to me. We who are born again live by faith. You don't need faith to live by the law. Go to the next verse. You don't need faith to live by the law. And the law is not of faith. But the man that doeth them shall live in them. You don't need faith to live by the law. Why? Because it's, it's spelled out. It's perfect. If you obey, you get blessed. If you don't obey, you get cursed. You don't need faith to live by the law. And so if you're trying to live by the law of Moses and you're saying, I live by faith, I'm saying you don't need faith to live by the law of Moses. I want to let you in on something. In the, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, we call it the heroes of faith. You know what I'm talking about? And it says, by faith, Abel did that. And by faith, uh, you know, Rahab did this. And by faith, I want you to go back and read it again. Not one of those people had faith in the law. The law was not even in existence. Not one of them had faith in the law. They all had faith in what God said to them. And then you see it mentioned Moses, but it wasn't talking about Moses. It says, by faith, his parents, his parents did what they did. Go back and read it. Not one of those heroes released their faith in the law. They released their faith in the word of God and what God spoke to them and what God told them to do. Why? Because you don't need faith to operate in the law. And the just shall live by faith. So if the just shall live by faith and you don't need faith to operate in the law, what is that saying when you're saying I am under the law trying to live by faith? You'll get it in a minute. 
get this tape, amen? Now, let's go to Galatians, uh, no, uh, Galatians chapter 3, 19. We just saw that, right? Galatians 3, 19. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, 56. 1 Corinthians 15, 56. This is radical, man. This is radical. And I knew if you came here this morning, you deserve a radical feeding. Amen? Galatians, no, no, no. Let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 56. Now, this is shocking. 1 Corinthians 15, 56. You've read it before. But in light of what I'm, getting, I'm teaching you right now, now you see all the scriptures amplify everything. It's almost like you say, how in the world did I miss this? 1 Corinthians 15, 56. Now, it's going to say something that's very bold. He says, the sting of death is sin. Watch this. And the strength of sin is the law. The law strengthens sin. The law, the Mosaic law, strengthens sin. So your attempts to try to live by the Mosaic law and the Ten Commandments, the only thing it guarantees you is it will strengthen sin. Show me a man who is struggling with some type of addictive behavior in his life, some kind of sin that he keeps secret, and he can't, he's just not able to get, get free from it, and I'll show you a man who is still living under the bondage of the law because the law is what gives strength to sin. Show me a guy who goes to his church and preaches on the law every Sunday, and I guarantee you if you dig into his congregation, there's so much sin like you've never seen before. And even though they have on, even though they have on the proper outfit, they're sinning like crazy because the law strengthens sin. Let me give you an illustration. If I were to say to you, after we finish preaching to you this morning, when you go out, there's a pink elephant on the left side of the lecture hall. Do not look at that pink elephant. Don't look at that pink elephant. Don't look at the pink elephant. What are you going to do when you pass the lecture hall? Because the law gives strength to sin. I preach don't and then you do. Look at what happened in the Garden of Eden. Everything was fine. And there was one type of law in the Garden of Eden. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. All right, now watch this now. Why didn't Eve just kill Adam? Why didn't Eve just, just kill him, just poison him? Why was she tempted? Why was she not tempted to poison Adam? Watch this carefully. Because there was no law concerning poisoning Adam. Why were they tempted to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Why were they not tempted to eat from all of the trees in the garden? Because there was only one law that said don't eat from that particular tree. Wherever there is a, wherever when you start operating by the law, you're going to open yourself up for temptation for the law adds strength to sin. 
And that's why you've not been able to stop doing some of the things you've been doing because you've been doing it based on the Mosaic law instead of being doing it based on the guidance of the Holy Spirit working in you, changing your desire, giving you a desire to please him. If you understand that, say amen. Romans chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. Romans 3, 19 and 20. We're almost there, and then we're going to go to the new covenant. Romans 3, 19 and 20. I spoke to my wife last night. She said, baby, go ahead and feed them sirloin steak this morning. Verse 19 and 20. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law. Well, who are those who are under the law? Jewish people. He says that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. So he doesn't need another ethnic group to prove what, it, what they have already proven. And what have they already proven? That nobody could keep it but Jesus. And look what he says in verse 20. Verse 20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law does what? It, it gives you the knowledge of sin. By the law, you know what's wrong. The law was given to show you what's wrong with you. There is no transformative power in the covenant of the law. There is no transformative power in the, in the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments and the covenant of the law will not transform you. It's just going to show you your problem. You are not going to become more holy by keeping all 613 of the law. It was not given to make you holy. It was given to make you guilty. It was given to condemn you. It was given to show you your problem. It was given to... The, the law does not give us advantage over sin. The law gives sin the advantage over us. Let me show you this. Romans 3.31. I'm going to read something to you I wrote down in my Bible. Romans 3.31. Turn there. Man. I know some of you think like, what? What is this? It's the Bible that you say you believe. I said it's the Bible that you say you believe. Are you there yet? He says, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. Now, if you read that out of context, you'll say, see there, Pastor Dollar, that goes against everything you just said, that we establish the law. What is he talking about here? What he says, if you read the whole context, he says, do we make void the law? No. We, we reverence the law. We we, 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 we exalt, we reverence, we respect the law. Why? Because without it, we would have never come to see our need for Jesus. Without it, he says, reverence the law, respect the law, because the law is what escorted you into the realization that you need a Savior. Amen that you can't deal, live this life by yourself. Galatians chapter 2, 16 and 21. Somebody dared me that, it, that I wouldn't come here and teach the word of God line upon line upon line. 
They said people don't want to hear that. Man, oh man, were they wrong. Look at Galatians chapter 2, 16 and then verse 21. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, he's justified. Even when we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Verse 21. Verse 21. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. You know what frustrates the grace of God? When you keep trying to earn something that's free. You know what frustrates the grace of God? Is when you keep trying to earn your righteousness, when your righteousness was given to you by what Jesus did. Somehow or another, you keep going back trying to operate in the works of the law to try to, to, try to deserve it. We just can't believe that, that God can do something for us without you deserving it. You have to understand, God never called anybody into the ministry that qualified. Moses was a murderer. David was a murderer. The apostle Paul was a murderer. If that were the case, none of them qualified. But the reason why God calls you unqualified is so he can be the one to qualify you so that he's the only one that can get the glory for the anointing that's dripping off your life. And I tell you, you better get ready. God's getting ready to call a bunch of unqualified people so he will anoint you, so he will appoint you, and so he will qualify you. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1 and 9. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and 9. All right, now watch these two scriptures. I got two scriptures here, and then we'll go to the New Testament, the New Covenant, the one that we're under, the correct one that we should be living under. Well, if we're not supposed to live under the law, if we're not supposed to live under the commandments, then, then what are you saying? Do you know the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that the law is, I might have to show you this. Uh, let me read this. Remind me to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. How many righteous people do I have in here today because you've been born again? The law is not made for a righteous man. The law is not made for a righteous man. The law is not made for a righteous man. The law is not made for a righteous man. For the law of Moses was not made or given for a righteous man. Why? He says, who was it given to? If it's not for a righteous man, who's it for? But for the lawless, for the disobedient, for the ungodly, for the sinners, for the unholy, for the profane, for the murderers of fathers and the mothers of mothers and for manslayers. The law was not given for the righteous, but it was given for all of those who are not righteous so that the law can be used to convince them like it convinced us you need a savior. Look at Matthew 5, 17 through 18. Matthew 5, 17 through 18. Now, 
Here's a scripture that comes up a lot when, when I'm teaching on this. The Bible says, think not that I am come to destroy the law. People say, Brother Dollar, Jesus said he didn't come to destroy the law. Well, let's read the whole thing. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. All right, watch this next verse. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot, not one jot or tittle shall in no wise pass away from the law till all be fulfilled. What was Jesus saying? I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill every bit of the law because none of you can. I came to do something that you could not do. And when I do it, then you now believe in what I have done. I have come to fulfill the law. You couldn't fulfill all of it, but I'm going to fulfill all 613. I'm going to fulfill every jot and tittle. I'm going to fulfill all of the ceremonial law, the civil law. I'm going to fulfill every bit of it. And then believe in me because I am now your champion. I can do. I did what nobody else could do. One more and then we'll go to the correct covenant. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 6. You just need to know that this is in the Bible. I encourage you to read the entire chapter of 2 Corinthians chapter 3 because it makes a distinction between the law that was written and the Holy Ghost that now comes. Look at what he says. Who has... Who has made us able ministers of the New Testament? We're supposed to be ministers of the New Covenant, not of the letter. The letter talks about condemnation and it speaks of condemnation. We are not to be ministers of condemnation. We are not to stand up and tell people what they can't do and tell them they're not enough for this and tell them they're no good and tell them they're going to hell by 12 o'clock today. People don't want to hear that. That's why they ain't coming to church because they don't want to hear condemnation. They want to hear justification. They want to hear what Jesus has already made available to them. We are ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter. Look at this, verse 6. 2 Corinthians 3, 6. All right, now watch this. Look at how he refers to 2 Corinthians 3, 6. Look at how he refers to the Ten Commandments written on stone. This is amazing. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 6. Some of y'all see it already. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 3 and 6. It's almost coming. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 6. Glory to God. It's almost there. I guarantee you time I get this Bible, it's going to pop up on the screen. 2 Corinthians 3 and 6. See, the devil don't want you to see 2 Corinthians 3 and 6. It's, it's, it's radical. 2 Corinthians 3 and 6. It must be frozen. Y'all got a Bible? You got a telephone? All right, pull up 2 Corinthians 3 and 6 until we can pull it up. How, did, how in the world does he think he can stop us? We got a Bible and a phone, right? 2 Corinthians 3 and 6. He says who also has made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit gives life. Look at verse 7. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was grievous, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away with. Question, ladies and gentlemen. What was written 
and engraven in stone. Come on, talk to me. The Ten Commandments, right? All right, what did he say about it? He called what was written in stone the ministration of death. It was designed to bring you to an end of yourself. It was very glorious in doing that. It served the purpose for which God sent forth for it to serve. And he says, one day it will be done away with. Look at verse 8. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? Verse 9. For if the ministration of condemnation, look what he calls Look what he calls the law. Look what he calls the Ten Commandments. The ministration of death. Then he turns around and calls it the ministration of condemnation. You don't think it's the ministration of condemnation? Break one of those laws and sense condemnation come over you. You'll walk away feeling bad and feeling shame and feeling guilty. And then some old person will say, well, that's the Holy Ghost trying to show you that you really saved because you feel bad. No, 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 no. That is not the Holy Ghost. That is the ministration of condemnation. That is the administration of the law. That is the ministration of the Ten Commandments trying to bring you to an end of yourself, trying to let you know that there is a better administrator that will come after Jesus raises from the dead. He is the Holy Ghost. He will now administer morality like the written law could never do. Let's say amen. All right, now, let's go to the new covenant in the time we have remaining. Let's go to the covenant that we live under. Hebrews chapter 8 and 6. Now, this is the covenant that you and I live under. We are not under the covenant of the law. We are under the covenant of grace. We are not under the Mosaic covenant. We are under the new covenant. Amen? Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, if you can pull it up. Y'all good? If not, I'll go ahead and read. Okay, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. All right, now watch this. Everybody got a Bible or a phone? Are you with me? Verse 6, but now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a, say it, a better covenant. A what kind of covenant? A what? Which was established upon better promises. Say better promises. If God wanted you to live under the Mosaic covenant, then why is he giving you a better one? Better covenant with better promises. Watch this. For if that first covenant, what is he talking about? The Mosaic covenant. That's the first covenant. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should uh, no place have been sought for the second covenant. Did you hear what he just said? If the, what was the fault of the first covenant? It was too perfect for imperfect fallen people to keep. So he says, now we needed to give you a second covenant because you're going to have problems under that first covenant. Look again. For if that first covenant, the Mosaic law, had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the what? Second covenant. Look at verse 8. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a, say it, new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. You and I are under the 
new covenant. Everybody shout, new covenant. You live under the new covenant, praise God. And it's time for you to learn what the new agreement says, what the new covenant says. He has given you a better covenant. And I tell you, over 80% of the church don't even know it exists. Watch this. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, I regarded them not, saith the Lord. In other words, he said, this new covenant I am not going to make like the old one, where in the old covenant you needed to do something first to enable God to be able to do something second. In the old covenant, you had to be good if you wanted God to be good to you. He says, I'm not going to make another covenant where you get to decide whether or not God can bless you or not. Because under the old covenant, if you were faithful to be good, then God could be good. But also under the old covenant, if you were not good, then God, because of their agreement, could not be good to you. He says, I'm taking that out. He says, there are a couple of things I'm going to do with this new covenant. I am not going to make this agreement between me and you. Because man had a faithfulness problem. So I need, a, I need somebody that could represent mankind, but God would never have to be concerned about whether or not he would be faithful one day to the next. So he decided to make this covenant between God, watch this, and Jesus. A Jesus that would be faithful when he was being beat with a cat of nine tails. A Jesus who would be faithful on a cross of Calvary. A Jesus that would be faithful to go to hell and would trust that on the third day that God was raised him up from the dead. So it says, I am going to make this agreement between me and faithful Jesus. Somebody says, well, what about us? I'll tell you about us. You are not, the covenant, this new covenant is not between you and God. It's between God and Jesus. But now you are the beneficiary of this agreement between God and Jesus. In other words, it's not, it's not based on what you do, whether or not God can do what he wants to do. Hallelujah. But it's based on what Jesus has already done. And because of the faithful Jesus, healing has already been done. Deliverance has already been done. Prosperity has already been done. Hallelujah. And your unfaithfulness won't stop it because Jesus and God are the ones that will determine the blessing that comes on your life. And you are blessed because you believe. That's the new covenant. The new covenant. The new covenant is foolproof. F-O-O-L. It's foolproof. Not even a fool can mess this up. You can act as crazy as you want to, and when you stop acting crazy, then the same opportunity will be there for you when you're ready to believe it. It's foolproof. 
You don't get to determine whether or not God's going to be good to you. Because today, God is good to you, not because you're good, but God is good to you because he is good. And his goodness is going to cause you to repent. His goodness is going to cause you to change your mind. His goodness is going to turn everything around. And all of a sudden, you're going to be looking at all the stupid stuff you've been doing and realizing how good God has been to you. And you're going to change what you're doing because of the goodness of the Lord will bring a man to repentance. You know, I don't have to go around talking about God's mad at me. God's not mad at you. He's not even in a bad mood where you're concerned. I said God's not even in a bad mood where you're concerned. Because you're under a new covenant. And now watch this, verse 10. For this, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. Here we go. I will put my laws in their mind and, their, and write them in their hearts. Now hold on a minute. Somebody said, see there, Brother Dollar? He's going to put the law in our heart and in our mind. He is not talking about the Mosaic law. Many people thought that under the new covenant, because we were no longer under the Mosaic law, we have no laws. No. In a sense, God delivered us from the Ten Commandments to one. In this new covenant, there is a new commandment. In this new covenant, there is a new commandment. And the new commandment is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, his finished works, and to love one another. The law of the new commandment is the law of love. And he says, if you can keep this one law under the new, command, under the new covenant, you'll be able to keep everything else. Because if you love, you won't commit adultery. If you love, you won't covet. If you love, you won't steal. If you love... And he's going to take the law of love, and in the law of love, you will, you will fulfill the righteousness of the law. And, and, and through this law of love, one law, that's all he asks you to do is to walk in love. And under this law of love, he says, I am going to write it on your heart, and I am going to write it on your mind. And now you have the law of love, the perfect law of liberty. You have the law of faith because now you're going to need faith to believe you receive you're the righteousness of God and know you didn't do anything to deserve it. The law of love written on your heart. The royal law of liberty written on your heart, praise God. Moral law, God's law, moral law is referred to as the law of God written on your heart. You're going to know what's right and wrong because it's in your heart. And by the Holy Spirit, listen, you don't need 613 rules in order to do what's right. You just need the, you just need the Holy Spirit working in you, and he'll write it on your heart. You knew that slapping that person was wrong before you came to this convention. You knew that stealing was wrong before you got born again because it was written in your heart and he says I'm going to write this love in your heart you're going to know the depth and the height you're going to know how deep this love is and I am now going to change you from the inside out I am going to take away your old want to's and I'm going to give you new want to's and the reason why you don't behave like that no more is because you have no desire to do that no more because I've been working in you praise God Turn to two people and tell them, God's working in you right now. Turn to two people and tell them, God's working in you right now. God's working in you right now. 
God's working in you right now. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you've been having a problem with, but he's working in you right now. He's working in you right now. So Christian people, we have got to be careful not to judge people based on where you saw them last because God is in the process of transforming them. And, 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 and how you saw them when you last saw them, they have made progress by the Holy Ghost since them. So stop judging people where you saw them because God who started the work is in the process of finishing the work and they might have been a liar the last time you saw them, but they've been worked on by the Holy Ghost and now it can't even come out like it used to because he's doing a work on the inside. Turn to two people again and tell them he's working in you. He's working in you. He's working in you right now. He's working in you. Now, verse 11. Verse 11. And now watch this. This is radical. So far you've seen, I will, I will, I will, I will. This new covenant is all about what he'll do, what he'll do, what he'll do, what he'll do. Oh, praise God. Watch this. I'll put my laws in your minds. I'll write them in your hearts. I'll be to them a God. They'll be to me a people. I want you to turn to somebody and say, I have a God under this covenant. Oh, y'all don't understand what I'm saying. Under this new covenant, I have a God. Sickness, you better watch out. I got a God. Poverty, you better get out of here. I got a God. Verse 11. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor, every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. This is the introduction of the Holy Spirit. A life of fellowship with the Holy Spirit. The blood of Jesus has given us all a blood-bought right to have a one-on-one -on -one personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. And your personal relationship with the Holy Spirit is how you're going to see your behavior change. Is when you have a personal relationship with him, every problem that exists can be resolved through a personal one-on-one -on -one relationship with the Holy Spirit. Not when you come to church, but when you're walking down the street and you got a relationship with him. At home, you got a relationship with him. Hallelujah, at the free time, you got a relationship with him. That's, you're going to know him. And the Bible says that he will give more grace. How? Through the knowledge of him. All right, now watch this. This is radical. The last two verses will determine whether or not you're going to see this work. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Uh, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And then verse 12 says now, okay, will you? I will, I will. This is the most important part of the covenant. He says, I'll be merciful unto your unrighteousness. I'll be merciful to your unrighteousness. Mercy is when you, des when you des the bad you deserve, you don't get. Mercy is the bad you deserve, you don't get. Somebody shout, have mercy on me, Lord. I'll be merciful to the unrighteous. Their sins and their iniquities will I remember. Will I remember. I will not remember it. 
Well, here's what it says. If you want to see I will, I will, I will, I will, I need one thing from you. Will you believe that I'll be merciful to your unrighteousness? And will you believe that your sins and iniquities I'll remember no more? He says, because if you don't do that, then you're going to always stop what I want to do with you because you'll receive condemnation to sin and condemnation for the unrighteousness because you have no confidence that I have mercy on your unrighteousness. You have no confidence that your sins and iniquities I'll remember no more. And it's easy for you to say, I can do that in church. But when you mess up and miss the mark, will you be able to remind yourself that God has mercy on my unrighteousness and my sins he'll remember no more. You can't go too far down the road if you keep remembering what you did yesterday. And everybody's done some stupid stuff. You got to let that go. You're not going to be able to enjoy the blessings of this new covenant if you keep remembering what you did before. Can you believe that your sins and iniquities he'll remember no more? especially being raised up under the law and you have a sin consciousness, can you finally say when you miss the mark, oh, God's taking care of that and I believe I receive his forgiveness and I believe I receive his mercy and go on? Or will you say, oh, I'm no good. Oh, I'm no worthy. Oh, God. Oh, God, forgive me. And now you fall back in the law and you try to perform your way out of that situation and you go on a 30-day fast because you need to hurt you go on a 50-day, keep your mouth closed because you don't believe that Jesus has already done it, so you go back trying to get it done yourself. Can you believe what the blood has done? Can you believe that he's forgiven you of your past sin, your present sin, and your future sins? I know. I know you have problems with that last one. Oh, yes, I know he's, I believe he forgave me of my past sins. And I believe he forgave me of my present sins. But, Brother Dollar, it's heresy for you to say that he's forgiven you of your future sins. Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. When did he forgive us of all of our sins? When he was on the cross. So if he forgave us of all of our sins when we were on the cross, you and I were not born yet. So all of the sins he forgave us of were in the future tense. So all of our sins were future tense. Do you think he's getting on the cross every day now to forgive you of your sins? What he did, he did once and for all. He has forgiven me of my past. He has forgiven me of my present. And he has forgiven me of all of my future sins. He has dealt with my sin. Hallelujah. It's been dealt with. But. The question is, will you believe it? Or will you carry around a sin consciousness that stops you from enjoying the Autobahn? Will you carry around a sin consciousness that stops you from enjoying what Jesus has done because you're too sin conscious to receive the freedom that Jesus has given unto you? And until your sin consciousness is dealt with, You'll never be able to receive his mercy and you'll never be able to receive that your sins and iniquities he will remember no more. 
Amen. And the problem, the problem is you keep remembering it. You won't let it go. You won't let it go. It doesn't even exist except in your mind, and you won't let it go. And when you won't let it go, you don't really believe that his blood did the job. And so your life as a Christian will be like this, Jesus plus something else, Jesus plus something else, Jesus plus something else, because you don't believe that Jesus is enough all by itself. Jesus plus fasting. Oh, my God. No, you don't want me to say that here, Lord. Oh, my God. Oh, Jesus. So, I understand what fasting did in the old covenant. Nobody could get born again. They were under the law, and there were laws concerning fasting. Jesus was in two ministries in the book of Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. First ministry of Jesus in the Gospels was, number one, to fulfill the law. The second ministry was to lay the foundation for this new covenant. So we did a couple of things and said a couple of things. And there's a situation in there where this boy who was a lunatic, the disciples tried to cast the devil out of him. And the devil wouldn't come out. Jesus came and cast the devil out of him. Disciples took him apart and said, Jesus, why could we not cast the devil out? Jesus said, because of your unbelief. He said, the problem was your unbelief. And then he made a statement that the church took out of context. He said, this kind cometh not out, but by prayer and fasting. And we thought he was referring to the demon. He was not referring to this kind of demon cometh not out, but he's referring to this kind of unbelief. And he says, when you have a problem with unbelief, you need to go on a fast. <laughs> because when you don't believe, then that stops everything. You cannot how do I say this? Oh, this is radical, but I got to say it anyway. Jesus died on the cross for everything except one thing, unbelief. Because unbelief is now your choice as a free moral agent. He'll forgive you for everything, but when you stop believing, how can he do anything? So until you repent of unbelief, you don't have available everything else. So unbelief can be repented of, but it can't be forgiven of. Why can't unforgiveness, excuse me, why can't unbelief be forgiven of? Because you don't believe. You can repent of unbelief. Oh God, I repent, I believe. And now you got everything that was promised. But that's what the blasphemy is. You don't believe. Unbelief. So here's why I fast, and here's how we fast on the New Testament. We fast to deal with our unbelief until it lines up with our born-again spirit, and then our body will have to follow suit. 
But we don't fast to try to get God to do what he's already done. He's already healed you. He's already delivered you. He's already prospered you. He's already moved. Why are you fasting to try to get him to do what he's already done? That's radical. That's radical. You got to sit in that. You have a personal relationship with Jesus. Go and ask him if what I just said is true or not. He'll tell you. You don't have the gospel about it. You have a personal relationship with Jesus. Go and ask Jesus. Somebody asked me one time, is it all right to drink wine? I said, go ask Jesus. You know him. He lives in you. Go find out for yourself. See, you're looking for another set of Ten Commandments, and I'm not going to do that for you. If he's delivered us from the law, I'm not giving you any more laws. You have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit, and he wants to teach you and lead you and guide you. And unless you take advantage of the personal relationship with Jesus, you're going to always go back to the law because it's easier to follow something that's written than to fellowship with someone who wrote it. Verse 12, last verse. How's my screen doing? Okay. All right, we'll have that screen ready for tonight, right? Because tonight I got to have that screen. Amen. Here's the last verse, verse 13. In that he saith, a new covenant, a new covenant he hath made. Let me read it again. In that he saith, a new covenant he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxes old is ready to vanish away. Oh, there go my screen. I picked that up in the... Um, Amplify it for me. Amplify uh, Hebrews 8 and 13. Look at this. When God speaks of a new covenant or agreement, makes the first one obsolete. Out of use. And what is obsolete and out of use and unknown, now watch this part, because of age. Now here's what he's talking about. It is obsolete and it is out of use because this is not the age for it. This is not the dispensation for it. Its age and dispensation has passed. This is not the age for the old agreement. This is the age for the new agreement. And what is obsolete and out of use and annulled because of age it is now right for disappearance and to be dispensed with altogether because there is a new and a living way at hand. And Jesus is the administrator of that new and living way. Now that's the foundation for tonight because tonight we're going to talk about something very radical. I'm going to show you that the sin meter has been turned off. I'm going to show you that sin is no longer an issue with God, but it may be an issue with you. And I then have to show you the difference between sin versus sinning. 
And I have to say this. Grace still has the objective of holiness. The bottom line to grace is holiness. If you're coming here tonight thinking you're going to get a big old license to sin, I don't want to disappoint you. Grace does not give you a license to sin. You've been sinning without one. Grace gives you a license to walk in holiness. Grace gives you a life to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. Grace gives you a license to, uh, to operate in righteousness. But how does that work? How does that work? Through this gospel of grace, you're going to be more holy than you've ever been before. This gospel of grace, you're going to produce more holiness by mistake than you did on purpose. I'll show you tonight. You don't want to miss it. Bring your grandmama, her mama, your sister, your brother, pooking them, chiquitting them. Bring them to this place tonight. And we are going to close with a radical bang. Bring, bring your pastor tonight. Bring them tonight, praise God. Bring them tonight. We're going to cause them to scratch their head, praise God. We are under a new covenant. We are under a new dispensation. And my time is so gone. Did you get anything out of that tonight, today? Stand to your feet for a moment. Stand to your feet for a moment. Let's make this confession of our faith. Lift your hands up and say this out loud with me in the name of Jesus. I am delivered from the law. I am a part of the new covenant. I have a new creation in me. In the name of Jesus, I believe in the finished works of Jesus. I receive the perfect law of liberty therefore I rebuke the spirit of shame the spirit of condemnation in the name of Jesus I am in Christ Jesus therefore there is therefore now no condemnation because I'm in Christ Jesus I declare with boldness now that I live under the new covenant and I declare that I am free from the Mosaic covenant. I trust in the Holy Spirit. He has given me the desires to please God and thus I declare that all is well with me in my house. In the name of Jesus, and somebody said, God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Megacon Experience. Connect with us on social media at CGMI Global on Facebook and Instagram.